Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app hello everybody today's episode is one of the charity episodes Uh, if you're a new listener to the program this is a science podcast we typically have scientists on the show however i do believe we will have a more informed idea about some of the things that we talk about on the show if i talk with some of these people that that are on the ground the people that are dealing hands-on with some of the world's problems and and i also find it inspiring to hear from people that are so committed to trying to change the world in a positive way and today's guest is doing just that so i hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as i enjoyed making it and i will uh, tell you more about what we have coming up at the end of the episode thank you are we yes where are we Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, we're doing, uh, like I mentioned at the start of, of season two, I'm going to try once uh, once a month, once every other month. Um, uh, we're going to have more of a charity-oriented podcast on the show just to uh, just to get some extra perspectives for everybody. And today, I am lucky enough to be meeting with Gene Bauer, who is the president and co-founder of the Farm Sanctuary, which I visited one of their many locations, and uh, and he is also the author of the book Living the Animal Sanctuary Life, and Time Magazine called him the conscience of the food movement. How are you doing today, Gene? I am doing wonderful. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the program. And uh, so so you have three different sanctuaries in 
around the country, right? That's right. And we have one in Watkins Glen, New York, one in Northern California, and one just outside of Los Angeles in the town of Acton. Nice. I'll have to uh, I'll have to post some pictures on the site of me at the Los Angeles one because I got to hang out with a pig and uh, right on. get some pictures with the goats and cows and everything. It was it was wonderful. Yeah. Um. It's, uh, it, the uh, the world's most informative petting zoo. <laughs> yeah. Really. You know, most people don't think that much about cows and pigs. And a big part of Farm Sanctuary's goal is just to get folks to recognize that these are living, feeling creatures. They are individuals. They have personalities. They're not that different than cats and dogs. Pigs love belly rubs. So you go out to the farm and you, you touch their tummy and they flop over like a 600-pound pig will flop over. Uh, we have turkeys that follow you around like puppy dogs, cows that are very friendly. So they have feelings. They have personalities. They want to be treated with kindness. And, and you know, at Farm Sanctuary, we model that sort of relationship where these animals are our friends, not our food. How did Farm Sanctuary start? We started back in 1986, and the goal was just to expose the abuses of factory farming. There's not been enough attention paid to the problems with our food system, where animals are put in cages and crates where they're packed so so tightly they can't even turn around or stretch their limbs. They're routinely fed huge amounts of antibiotics just to keep them alive and growing in these horrible, filthy situations. And then we eat way too many animal products this is resulting in huge human health problems. It's been estimated we could save 70% on health care costs in the U.S. by shifting to a whole foods plant-based diet. And then the other issue is the environment. Animal agriculture is one of the top contributors to the most serious environmental problems that our planet faces. And this is according to the United Nations. Animal agriculture contributes more to climate change, in fact, than the entire transportation industry. So each day we make choices about various things. And our food choices are perhaps among the most important. And we don't pay enough attention. So Farm Sanctuary is about rescuing animals for abuse, educating people about the fact that these are living, feeling creatures, and encouraging people to live in a more mindful, thoughtful, conscientious way. And to and I think that will result in people choosing to eat more plants and fewer animal foods. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things that I guess um, I had never really considered or thought about, just, just the idea. And it, it makes sense after you think about it, I guess. Just the the amount of water that it takes to raise, um, you know, a, a couple pounds of meat uh, for the plate, as opposed to filling your plate with vegetables. It's like some I, I forget what the statistic is. I should I'm sure I have it down somewhere. But it's like forty times or something it's insane. A, it's an enormous more uh, amount more when you're doing animal agriculture because. To raise animals for food, you need to grow corn and soybeans as feed crops. And 90% of the soy and 70% of the corn that's grown in the U.S. is used in animal agriculture. Now, if we were growing that food and eating it directly, we could feed far more people. We would use far fewer resources, including water, including fossil fuels, and we would be eating healthier food. So animal agriculture is leading to the destruction of vast open areas. It's leading to the destruction of rainforests so we can grow feed crops for farm animals or have grazing land for farm animals. And when you step back and think about it, it's inefficient, it's unhealthy, it's inhumane, it's it doesn't make sense. And, and, and I think those kinds of issues are starting now to resonate. There's a convergence of awareness about you know health, environment, animal welfare, social justice, 
is a whole other aspect because these factory farms tend to locate in neighborhoods where you have people that aren't very well able to fight them and, and don't have the financial or legal resources to keep factory farms out. So there's a social justice component. And, and it's an industry that causes so much harm that most people are unwittingly supporting. And, and we just want people to be empowered and inspired to live more mindfully. Yeah, I'm, I'm from a, well, I, I guess I can't really say a small town in Wisconsin, but everything outside, it was about 50,000 people, but everything outside of it was, I mean, you'd have to travel about two and a half hours before you weren't going through farmland. And so I had a, like a lot of family friends and stuff that were, were still farmers and, and my, uh, uh, my one of my grandfathers did some farm. Actually, both of my grandfathers at one point did some farming. And I remember going to farms when I was a kid, and it was very much like an old McDonald storybook where, you know, there was, there was these pens with some pigs in them. And, and you know, I went and visited the, the farm sanctuary, and it didn't seem all that unlike what I kind of remembered what my childhood uh, what was like where you know there's chickens out running around everywhere and and uh it certainly at least my memory of it as a child it didn't seem like uh, you know it seemed like they had a fair amount of space and weren't being mistreated and everything but but certainly you you watch i'm sure anyone at this point has seen it at least a clip of one of these um uh, industrial farming um yeah the the small farms have unfortunately been pushed out of business by these large industrial farms the, the actual one that i've that i'm thinking of they are he had to sell his farm eventually and now is like basically working for <laughs> one of those big guys, guys. Yeah. that's been the trend unfortunately and so factory farming has become the <laughs> the main form of animal agriculture and when people see it, most of the time, people are pretty upset about it because these animals are treated horribly. The way Farm Sanctuary started back in 1986 is we actually did investigations. We went into these places to document conditions. And we would literally find living animals thrown in trash cans or living animals thrown on piles of dead animals, discarded. And so we started rescuing them. And that's how the sanctuary began back in 1986. And um, it's grown a lot since then. We have about 1,000 animals now we care for between our three farms. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I was thinking, not even from um, an animal rights perspective, I was just kind of thinking as I was... Uh, visiting the sanctuary and uh, reading some of the stuff and it's funny to I think it would be very hard for a person to go and watch uh, like a a factory farming documentary or something and then have to go and work at their cubicle job (laughs) that day and I think there's some parallels that could be made and it is a little scary to think about when when production is our god and 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 nothing else matters no, no ethics no well-being nothing else i mean i think at some point we are going to have to step back i mean this is a this is starting to affect us and i mean it already is affecting us and it, you know absolutely and it's, it's thinking outside the box it's sort of not yeah. being a cog in a wheel of an abusive system that was kind of what brought me to this i saw so many problems around me in the world i just didn't want to be part of them and then as time went i got involved with environmental groups human rights groups and and started recognizing that factory farming is an affront to our humanity, it is harming the environment. It is we're eating food from the system that is making us sick, and I just didn't want to be part of it. But you know, you're right. People, we grow up in a certain way. 
uh, we develop certain habits and we sometimes assume that these habits are somehow worth pursuing and good for us because everybody is doing it. But just because everybody's doing something doesn't make it good or healthy or the right thing to do. Slavery was something that was normal at one point. And then it, we kind of recognized that that wasn't so cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. you know? And so right now we kind of have animal slavery in a sense. Right. And, and then we have people that work in these places whose lives are not great. You know, working in a slaughterhouse, for example, is a brutal, violent, bloody existence. And, and, and I wish nobody had to do that. So uh, as someone who, who does eat meat, but as I, I certainly have lots of vegan friends, actually, this, this, uh, as I mentioned beforehand, the, the Mike Kaplan and Zach Sherwin, two very funny comedians who made the, uh, the music for the introduction of this podcast, uh, they're, they're, both two, uh, uh, they're both vegans and a couple of my best friends. And so I've I've had plenty of conversations with them, and I pretty much had to be like, oh yeah, I guess I I just must not I just must not care enough if I'm being honest. Like I I just need to because I don't know what I, I do have a hard time thinking of any good argument to not be vegan or vegetarian. What do, is there any? I, I've seen things where there's like some animal fats can be good for your brain function or, or something, something like that, or, or, or you have to go out of your way to get protein. Is, is, there, is there anything different that you actually do have to do if you're vegan to make sure that you're getting whatever nutrients or vitamins? I've been a vegan since 1985, and I have had no health problems. In fact, I just did a marathon a couple days ago. I've done six marathons now. I've done a bunch of triathlons, including an Ironman, which is where you swim two point four miles, bike 112 miles, and then you run a marathon and did that all on a plant-based diet. There's also elite athletes performing at a very high level. People like Scott Jurek, who won the Western States 100-mile race seven times in a row as a vegan. One of this vegan strongman, Patrick Babouillon, broke a world record carrying more weight than any human has ever carried. So you get everything you need nutritionally on completely plant foods. Mm. And this idea that uh, you know we need animal products somehow for our health is, I think, a belief system more than a scientific fact. And it's a belief system that validates a certain industry that is making a lot of money on the current status quo. And this is an industry that is not only abusing animals, but it's a system that is creating huge health problems where we have heart disease. And then you have pharmaceuticals that are fed to farm animals. And then when we eat those farm animals and we get sick, we then take these drugs. So there's lots and lots of money tied up in this industry and it's profitable and there's a very strong desire to just not look at the reality of the harm that this causes and the tobacco industry was doing the same thing you know 20 years ago where they said right. there's no scientific evidence that proves that cigarettes cause cancer <laughs> or harm you know i remember when i was uh when i was younger i went to with my grandparents or something like that to clean out and an attic for an auction of one of their friends had passed away or whatever. And I'm, and I'm helping clean out this attic. And I came across this pack of cigarettes that was from, I don't know what year, 
seemed like it was like 1940 or something like that, but they were they were medical cigarettes. Wow, they were they, they, they were for asthma, yeah. and they had uh, they had. It, here's what made them medical was rather than having a filter like all the other ones, it was just a hollow filter. So wow. because there was no filter, that Amazing. was good for your asthma. So it really speaks to belief systems. You know, there's yeah. that, that was a belief, yeah. and then you could make money selling it. And right. people did. <laughs> right, right, right. And that's the case now with meat, you know, and dairy products. You know, we drink a lot of cow's milk in this country. And one of the reasons that people drink cow's milk is because they believe it gives them calcium so they won't get osteoporosis. Right. But if you look at our country, we drink a lot of cow's milk and we also get a lot of osteoporosis. So if that was the solution, we shouldn't really have that problem like we do. Right. So these are myths. You know, we grow up with certain myths that need to be challenged. Yeah. Um, so how did you first become vegan? Well, you know, I always wanted to make a positive difference in the world, and I didn't really know how that was going to materialize. Uh, and there's a lot of things in this world that are outside of our control. But when it comes to what we eat, we have a lot of control over that, and we can make choices that we can feel good about. So I heard about the cruelty of factory farming. I stopped eating veal when I was in high school because my grandmother told me about what happens to veal calves who are chained by the neck in these crates. So that was in the 70s. And then in the 80s, I hitchhiked around the country and I started working with environmental groups and heard about Francis Moore LePay's book, Diet for a Small Planet, that spoke about the inefficiency of animal agriculture and how we could feed far more people on a plant-based food system as opposed to animal-based food system. And then I met people who were vegetarian and vegan and realized that this was possible. You could actually live on plants and no animal products. And I thought, if I can live well without causing unnecessary harm, why wouldn't I? So I went vegan in 1985, co-founded Farm Sanctuary in 1986, and I just keep doing this work. And the more I do it, the more sense it seems to make. Mm. Well, you're certainly in much better shape than this meat eater sitting here. <laughs> after I, I pretty much just slept for the last 24 hours because I had a bachelor, my brother's bachelor party in Vegas last weekend. So I'm definitely not feeling uh, any healthier uh, right now. Um, so the the other thing I thought was interesting, well, there's many things, was this This is just another one of the many things that I was like, oh, I never... I, considered that before was was the idea of a, a, a lot of people are will say oh I'll just eat fish mm. and I guess it never and I it, I don't know why it didn't occur to me because I read all about this this kind of stuff I'm I'm uh I'm pretty aware that that uh it, that fishing is driving lots of ocean life to extinction um but I guess I never really considered it when it came to what we're choosing to eat is, it, I, I don't know, I, I guess I never even thought of about the animal rights kind of point of view of of the the factory farming of, of fish as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's wild fish and ecosystems are being decimated with these factory trawlers that go out and, and scrape the ocean floors. And, and, you know, so wild fish populations are being decimated. And so what is happening now is you have these aquaculture operations, which are basically like fish factory farms, where they confine the fish in limited spaces, use lots of chemicals and, you know, drugs to keep them alive, just like they do in factory farms with land animals. 
And at the end of the day, these are sentient creatures. They have feelings. And that is something that for some people it's harder to really understand because fish seem very different than humans. And we have a tendency to more easily understand those who are more like us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when there's another human, we it's easier to just kind of understand and empathize. Then there's another mammal, like say a cow or a dog or a cat or a pig. Those are mammals and we can look in their eyes and there's a little bit more similarity. A bird is a little more different and a fish is a little more different. Mm-hmm. But just because they're different doesn't mean they don't have intense feelings. And in some cases, they might even have more intense feelings and more intense emotions than we do. And we just don't understand them as easily just because they're more different. Right. But, 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 but that doesn't mean they don't have feelings and that they don't deserve to be treated with compassion. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the very scary things that I think anyone can get behind is, is just the amount of chemicals that they're pumping and the antibiotics. And that's causing so many antibiotics are no longer working on anyone because all the antibiotics are already in your food. And, and, and now, and, and we've talked about on this podcast before how, how research and development for antibiotics is about 30 years behind at this point. So, so we are, we're behind on th- on getting super antibiotics, and 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 then we're trying to uh, you know keep up with the. It, it's kind of impossible. They call these emerging pathogens. There are new forms of drug resistant pathogens, harmful bacteria that are developing in our food system, and it's it's kind of an arms race. It's been referred to, and it's one that the microbes are are winning. And so, you know, it's this is where, you know, the way we eat and, and this food system we have has enormous implications. And it's, you know, these antibiotic resistant bacteria are not only in our food, they're also getting into the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, antibiotic resistant pathogens have been found in groundwater downstream from factory farms. Uh, and the vast majority of antibiotics used in the U.S. are fed to animals on factory farms. So this is an industry that is harmful in so many ways and and the good news though is it's one that we do not need to participate in and we each have the ability to make more informed mindful choices every day about the way we eat and and that adds up It, it it leads to change in the economic system where uh new kinds of farms start being created new kinds of businesses are being created there's a very strong vegan entrepreneurism happening right now and companies that are developing alternatives to meat, for example, uh, companies that are all developing alternatives to milk from cows. You know, you go into many grocery stores now, you find soy milk and coconut milk, almond milk, cashew milk, all kinds of non-dairy milks. And so I like coconut and almond milk more than I do dairy milk. I've never been a dairy milk person myself. From Wisconsin, even. Yeah, <laughs> from Wisconsin. I, I, I love cheese. I gotta, I'm gotta. i sorry. I have to be honest. There's starting to be some great cheese. vegan cheeses now, too. I do not believe you, but I'm willing to try. <laughs> I, I think three or four years ago, I think you'd have a stronger taste to make. <laughs> okay. But it's coming along, you know. I'll give it a shot. Well, my, my friend Mike and Zach, you know, anytime they're, they're both in town, we always go out to a vegan place and, and definitely because I've known them for years and definitely the maybe it's just being in LA and and we're getting older and eating at fancier places <laughs> any, anyway maybe that's part of it but it is every time I go to a new place with them I'm like oh I could I could do this I could do this yeah, yeah. so often I've I've heard people say that when they first hear about the idea of being vegan oh I could never do that 
you know, just because they're afraid of, of changing and think it's so hard. But then after having a great vegan meal, often mm. the response is, oh, I could do this. Yeah, yeah. And it's getting easier. There's more and more vegan restaurants. That's another form of entrepreneurism and businesses. And there's a cheese company called Miyoko's Creamery up in the Bay Area. They make this amazing cheese out of uh, nuts. And they have, like, a bunch of different flavors. And and so the, and the Kite Hill is another great vegan cheese company. So there's starting to be these businesses now that are focused on creating uh, alternatives to what have been traditionally animal-based foods. I, I just thought of another um, related story. I was I was meeting up with my friend Zach, and I was, I was picking him up. Or we were meeting at a park or whatever, and he was stopping by a, a cup a cupcake place. He's like, oh, they have these amazing vegan cupcakes there so he's, he goes and grabs a cupcake and he feeds me he gives me a cupcake i eat it i'm like you know i was skeptical but this is the best cupcake i've ever had he's like oh yours isn't vegan <laughs> but hey, i i can see how i mean uh, certainly it doesn't seem like it would be that hard the way technology is increasing and everything else that i i mean i'm surprised that we don't have just like little pills that we can take by now that have all of your vitamins and nutrients in it. You don't have to, for when you don't have the hour to sit down and have a meal. But uh, anyway, the, the point is I think technology is certainly moving in that direction where maybe I could eat tofu one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love fruits and vegetables. I do. I just, uh, I can't, I can't get behind tofu right now. I'm not ready to take that step. How but, about veggie burgers or veggie hot dogs or veggie meatballs or like a veggie I chicken think, thing? Um, I, I I gotta try more. I think I'll I'll just say that I'll try more. And you you, you make some interesting points about um, uh, it, you you know you're uh, having people maybe just try a little bit like the the no meat Mondays or whatever, yeah. but uh, just skipping one day a week where you're not eating meat, which yeah. doesn't seem like the hardest thing in the world to do. Exactly, doing a meatless Monday program is very feasible. It's not so scary. And the good thing about that is as people do try Meatless Monday, they start learning about the things that they like instead of meat. And, you know, for spaghetti and meatballs, you can get veggie meatballs. Or you can also just start including more veggies in there. Or tofu if you like it. You might not like the tofu, but that's another potential <laughs> addition. And, and the other thing is you do substitutes, you know, and, and, and use other things for protein instead of meat, uh, including beans, which are one of the healthiest things you can eat. And there's so many different kinds of beans as well. What percentage of um, of the meat that we eat is factory farmed? Is it like I would say that ninety eight or ninety nine percent of the meat that is sold in the U.S. is factory farmed, and a lot of that is still being labeled as free range or cage free, and it's made to sound like it's humane, but in fact it is factory farming. And the reason for that is that you know people don't like factory farming and they want an alternative. But there are not adequate standards in place. There are not clear labeling regulations. In the case of free range, for example, animals are only required to have access to the outdoors. But access to the outdoors is not defined. So you often have animals confined by the thousands in a warehouse with a little door that goes to a crummy little paddock. And that is access to the outdoors, and that is sold as free range. So that is a factory farm. But it's being sold as free range. And so there's now a lot of marketing to promote this notion that animals are being treated better, uh, but they're not 
being treated well at all. And it's, and it's bad or worse. And they're just all these, you know, industrial operations still, and the animals are seen as commodities and they're, they're not treated with respect. So if I go to a, a restaurant that sells itself as a farm to table restaurant, does that, does that, does that mean anything? It, it might, or it might not. It totally depends on the particular place. Generally, the further you are removed from the source of the food, the more likely it is that it the representations could be incorrect in terms of how farm to table and how the animals are being treated. Uh, but, you know, the only way to really know is to actually visit the farm and see what is happening. And, and this is where farmers markets, I think, are valuable because it connects consumers more closely to the source of their food. So if they were interested, they could actually visit farms. Uh, but there you also kind of have to be a little bit careful because depending on the size of the company that's at the farmer's market, they might have some farms that look really nice and they have others that don't look really nice and they would take interested customers to the ones that do look nice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so smaller tends to be, I think, more legitimate if if you can visit it. Um, but it, it's a point now where people are talking about these issues and people don't want to support factory farming and they want an alternative so that's the good news. The bad news is that a lot of the labels saying these animals are treated well are, are, are misleading. Hmm. So when did you open the farm sanctuary? You may have already said it. but Well, we were founded in 1986. And at the time, we were operating out of a little row house in Wilmington, Delaware. We funded the organization by selling vegan hot dogs at Grateful Dead concerts out of our Volkswagen van. And so we were a very small, upstart, volunteer-based organization in 1986. Then a tofu farmer in Pennsylvania let us use some of his land near Avondale, and we lived in a school bus there for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And then we acquired the farm in Watkins Glen, New York, at the end of 1989, and we still have that farm. It's 175 acres, and we have overnight accommodations there. We do events there. We encourage people to come visit the farm meet the animals, and just be part of that community. And Farm Sanctuary is a vegan organization, but we are very interested in inviting people who are not vegan. One of our organizational values is to speak to people where they are on their own journeys and to welcome people who are curious and interested in learning more. And we try to do it in a very friendly way, you know, because for some people, this can be scary, you know, and they don't want to be yelled at for not being vegan. And, and we will not do that. Right, right. Uh, yeah. So we got that farm in 89. And then we have two farms in California now as well. And uh, it's just continued to grow. And how, how do the, these animals come your way? It, it, nowadays, I, I know in the beginning, you said it was just you, you would, they'd be we in trash be- cans or whatever, and you'd... So, so would you just go up to these people and be like, yeah, can we grab that animal out of your trash can? And <laughs> Well, you know, sometimes it was just like the dump behind the stockyard, literally. It was like a pile of dead animals, and mm-hmm. we would sometimes find a living one there. And it was like we were picking their trash, so there was nobody we really had to ask permission in those circumstances. Wow. Uh, in other cases, animals have fallen out of trucks on the way to slaughterhouses or on the way to other farms, and so they're just on the side of the road, and a neighbor will find them and contact us. Um, or sometimes we've been in the country and found animals that have jumped out of trucks, and we go and grab them and bring them to the sanctuary. Um, sometimes now, increasingly, people who work in these farms are starting to speak out and say what is happening there is not okay 
and they will contact us. You know, veterinarians, for example, who work with farmers and who know that the animal, or particular animal, is not going to get the veterinary care they need, mm-hmm. will contact us, and, and we will end up with those animals. So they come from a variety of sources, um, and we also sometimes work with law enforcement agencies on cruelty cases. Uh, in the case of disasters, we will also sometimes rescue farm animals. You know, when a hurricane hits, or a flood hits, or uh, a snowstorm, or a heat wave animals can die by the millions and this is something people don't really realize but uh, you know when hurricane katrina for example uh, years ago six million farm animals died and most people didn't really know about that and we ended up rescuing a few hundred which is good to do uh, but at the end of the day it's impossible for any sanctuary to rescue all of the animals who need to be rescued so we rescue these animals they become ambassadors for other members of their species who were not able to help and we are able to model a relationship where the chickens are our friends and not our food, and people see that, and human beings are social animals, so the more that people see pictures and you know this relationship that is positive, the more it starts to become part of the popular mindset, which can then hopefully lead to us relating to these animals in a more respectful, compassionate, humane way, which, you know, most people are humane. So I feel very optimistic because most people don't like violence and cruelty and suffering and pain and bloody slaughterhouses. I mean, it's just painful, ugly stuff. And, and, and it's not something that makes people happy. And, and I think most people want to be happy. Most people want to be healthy. Most people want to live in a way they feel good about. And, and, and that's what this movement is all about. It's not about putting anybody down. It's about encouraging people to live according to their own humane values and according to their own interests and to support a food system that gives them healthy food that doesn't destroy the planet hmm. and doesn't kill animals. Um, I, I actually almost stepped in one of your animal ambassadors dropping. So I think, <laughs> I think maybe they might need a few manners. It takes them a little while to acc- acclimate. Um, but <laughs> I was... One of the funny stories that I heard when I was at the sanctuary was that apparently there was this pig there that some homeless guy just came, uh, just picked up and brought in somehow, and it didn't have like its tail cut or anything. So they were like, "We have no idea where this one came from. It must not have been a factory farm." Yeah, yeah. So a homeless guy wandered in with a pig one day. And, uh, you'll take it. Stuff happens, man. <laughs> you know, it's very hard to predict, you know. And so we just go with the flow and yeah. we help whenever we can. Um, so what is life like for the animals at the sanctuary? Well, once they come to farm sanctuary, they get to enjoy themselves and they get to be who they are. So cows get to go outside and graze. They get to interact with and live with other cows. And they are very social animals. Uh, pigs, the same thing. They get uh, wide pastures to play in. They spend a lot of time rooting. Pigs are very earthy animals. Um, they dig their own mud wallows because, you know, when it's hot in the summer, they like to get in the mud and in the water. And they have very sensitive noses. So they can actually find where the water is in the pasture. They start digging a hole and they create their own wallow. Uh, chickens uh, love pecking in the, in the grass and eating grubs and, and little little insects and things and seeds. And they take dust baths and they perch and 
You know, they just get to be who they are, which is such a contrast from how these animals live in factory farms, where they're confined so tightly they can barely move, where they're overcrowded, where they're overstressed, uh, where in some cases they're given hormones. Uh, in most cases, they're given drugs and antibiotics to be kept alive. And, um, you know, so, so, and it's wonderful to see the transformation. Animals, when they first come to us, are oftentimes very frightened of people. Because usually in their experience, when a person has approached them, it's been a painful experience. Mm -hmm. In the case of pigs, for example, on a farm, a factory farm, they'd have their tails cut off routinely without antibiotics. Uh, chickens have parts of their beaks cut off mm -hmm. without any painkillers. And so a person approaches and it hurts. And so when they first come to us, that they're worried about people approaching. But as time goes, they see us come up and they get a belly rub if they're a pig and they like it. Or they get a little snack. And they like it, and they learn then to trust us and to know they're in a safe place. And then they start to enjoy our company, and they start coming up to us. And that transformation is wonderful, and it's a sanctuary for animals, and it's also a sanctuary for people. In, in my book, Living the Farm Sanctuary Life, I talk about having a mindful relationship with other animals is good for the animals, and it's also good for us. Research has shown that it helps to reduce our stress levels, helps to reduce our, our blood pressure, and helps to improve our overall health and well-being. So kindness to animals is also good for us, and, and that's you know what we try to demonstrate at Farm Sanctuary. Mm. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned law enforcement earlier. I, I was wondering, do you guys do anything on the legal front as far as um, I, I, yeah. you were one of the. If I'm remembering right, you were one of the first organizations to yeah, kind we, of get a, a couple places that, prosecuted. That's right. We were the first to prosecute a stockyard for cruelty to a downed animal. We, we convicted Lancaster Stockyards in Pennsylvania of cruelty to animals for leaving a downed cow to suffer in a pen. Um, and that was a crazy case. There was these two downed cows in the pen, and one of them was killed, but the other was just left there in the pen and we said that this animal should not just be left to die. She should either be given veterinary care or to be made healthy, or she should be humanely euthanized. But right. the stockyard refused to do either of those things because they wanted to sell her for human food. And they ultimately did transport her to a slaughterhouse to be killed for human food, or they, or they wanted to do that. But we actually took it into our own hands to have a veterinarian come in and euthanize the cow. So then the stockyard chart sued us saying we owed them a few hundred dollars for the value of this cow that was going to be going to the slaughterhouse. So we didn't pay that and we charged them with cruelty to animals and we ultimately won in court, which was significant. Um, so that was one case. But we've also been involved in some of the first laws in the U.S. to ban inhumane confinement of animals on factory farms. The first was passed in Florida in 2002. It bans the use of gestation crates. These are two-foot-wide metal enclosures where breeding pigs, female sows, are kept during their gestation period. Uh, and we were able to get that on the ballot in the state of Florida, and citizens voted to ban gestation crates. First U.S. law to ban one of those systems. And since then, we've passed a number of other laws. But we've been very involved and instrumental in moving this ball forward to ban some of the worst confinement systems. We've also worked on laws successfully to ban the production of foie gras, where they force feed ducks and geese by jamming a pipe down their throat to force feed them and cause their livers to expand 10 times the normal size. And then they're killed and that liver is sold 
for human food. I didn't know what that was. Foie gras. Foie gras, yeah. It's uh, like it means fatty liver in French and it's, you know, this uh, very expensive luxury yeah, yeah. kind of thing and, and it's it's a product of extreme cruelty. So we've been able to pass mm. some laws to prohibit that. Um, and so there's a there's a lot going on right now, and not only in the efforts to end cruelty, but in efforts to promote more plant-based foods, to promote farmers' markets and to support those and to make it so that uh, people can use food stamps, for example, at farmers' markets. That's a very positive thing. There's also a Food Not Lawns movement where people are tearing up their lawns and planting vegetables. Um, so there's this urban gardening thing and community gardening movement, and it's very inspiring to see, and we want to enable those types of activities, and sometimes that requires legal support because uh, you know it, it hasn't been done enough, and when there's something new, there sometimes is opposition to it. What's the hardest thing about you do uh, about what you do? What, what are what are the most frustrating obstacles that that you face because this is a pretty big undertaking. What you're trying yeah. to do, it's a massive undertaking, and it's. I think the biggest obstacle is habit. People have habits, yeah. and and those habits are in behavior and in beliefs, uh, and in attitudes, and. It's frustrating because sometimes people behave in ways that are harmful to themselves and others without really thinking about it and without wanting to think about it. And I think the fear of change and the fear of paying attention and deciding to try to do better uh, is something that is sad to me and aggravating and frustrating because, you know, all of us can do better. Even the most vegan vegan is not perfect and can do better, you know, and to me, it's an aspiration to live as kindly as possible. That's what I see being vegan as. It's an aspiration to live as kindly as possible. And I guess I get frustrated by the apathy and the nihilism and the idea that I can't do anything. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I understand it. And I even feel it sometimes because there's a lot of big, bad problems in this world we can't do anything about. But when we focus on the things that we can do mm -hmm. and hold on to those and dwell in those and build on those, we can make a difference. And I think, to me, I, I you know, we've got to keep hope alive, yeah. uh, you know, as hard as it may be on some days. Uh, but, you know, take a deep breath and look at the one little positive thing and hold on to it and build from there. There's a, an old Pete Seeger song, an album, that I remember growing up and it was God bless the grass that grows through the cracks in the cement. And that's it. Mm -hmm. I want to nurture that grass and I love to see it grow, but the cement is frustrating because it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, it's cold, it's hardened, it's dead, it's calcified. And, and for human beings to be that way is sad and, and it's not enlivening. And I think most people would rather be the grass instead of the cement. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I do, I do think there is a bit of empathy fatigue or uh, sometimes because it's so say, uh, like I remember I was in Austin recently and you know, there's a homeless guy who wants a dollar or whatever. I give him a dollar and then I walk down a few more blocks and another guy. And, and so I give another homeless guy another dollar and then I walk down a few more blocks and now there's 10 homeless guys. And then after a while, it's like, oh, sorry, yeah. I can't, it, you know, so, so there's definitely, and, and sometimes with doing this podcast, yeah, I talk with, with, uh, with, with a, um, number of scientists about, you know, the, this person's all about, 
sleep more. This person says you should learn a new language to improve yeah. your memory. This person, yeah. uh, you know, so so to do everything right all of the time in life can can seem like an exhausting challenge but but i guess there's there's these very these small steps that we can start taking and and especially with you know something like no feet no meat monday it seems like something that i could try see what the real cost was see if it was that hard to do see if it made my life that miserable for that one day to not eat meat my guess is is that it'd probably be a pretty easy it might even uh, make you feel better it might, who knows it might even make you feel better and the one thing about empathy fatigue there is so much and we are bombarded with so much information about so many bad things in the world and it's hard for us to engage in a lot of that or even most of that mm-hmm. but each of us eats every day. Right. And so sometimes it's just about a small tweak that has a big impact. And it's not like we have to do things very differently. I mean, most people are already eating a lot of vegan food without really thinking about it. If you eat cereal in the morning, like oatmeal, for example, it's probably vegan. And if, instead of cow's milk, you could put some other non-dairy milk. Or instead of mar- butter, you could use a, a non-dairy margarine. So mm. that's a quick, easy move and it's vegan um and people also probably eat like spaghetti with marinara sauce you know that's vegan just leave the meatballs out or use veggie meatballs so shifting to eating a vegan or more more vegan isn't that hard and we're doing it anyway you know whereas you know seeing people on the street that are in tough shape and then you see one then you see another then you see another that's tough Right, right. And and, and, you also can't control others, but we can control ourselves. And there are things that we already do that we can do a little bit better, maybe. And and so it's not that hard. Um, So if so, so you have a sanctuary in uh, Watkins Glen, New York, in Orland, California, in Los Angeles, California. Which, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I was at the Los Angeles one, and I highly recommend checking them out for anyone who happens to be in one of those areas or near or visiting any of those areas. But what, what can people do um, at their local level if they, if they want to be a little more involved or if they, if they want to, not just from a, a dietary perspective for, for themselves, but if, if they want to check out and understand um, a little more about this. I, I mean, you were, you were in a... Netflix documentary, right? Uh, Forks Over Knives. Forks Over Knives. Yeah, that's a great film, and it speaks about how we could prevent many common problems in this country, health problems, and even reverse things like heart disease by shifting to a whole foods plant-based diet. So Forks Over Knives is an excellent film. It's had a big impact. Doctors are now being influenced by it and are starting to encourage their patients to eat more plant foods to get off of medication, and it's working. Uh, there's another great film called Cowspiracy that speaks about the environmental harms associated with animal agriculture and how it's something that the environmental movement really needs to pay more attention to. There's another film called Earthlings that is uh, uh, pretty much an indictment of humanity's mistreatment of other creatures on the planet. So those are three films that are available. There's another one called Veducated uh, that follows the path of a few people trying to eat plant-based. So there's a number of great documentaries out there that are available. And Check out your farmer's markets, maybe? Absolutely. Shop at a farmer's market and get the produce, not the animal <laughs> foods. Uh, so farmer's markets are wonderful. Maybe 
participate in a community-supported agriculture program, which are also ways to bring the farmer closer to the consumer, where at the beginning of the growing season, you invest and you, you, you own a share of the produce that comes from that farm. So that's another really good technique for getting healthier foods to, from farms to consumers while also supporting farmers in a, in a very uh, positive way. Um, but just being mindful and, and just recognize that your food choices have huge impacts. Uh, but farmers markets are great. Um, all right. Well, terrific. Is there anything else that you wanted to add before, uh, before we wrap up? No, uh, I just really greatly appreciate being here. You know, for people wanting more information about Farm Sanctuary, check out the website, farmsanctuary.org. Yeah, word is, so, so I'm going to put a, um, a, a link for a page where people can go to donate. Um, great to the farm sanctuary so i'll make sure and and do that farmsanctuary.org and you can also check out uh gene's books um farm sanctuary changing hearts and minds about animals and food and living uh, the second book is living the farm sanctuary life the ultimate guide to eating mindfully living longer and feeling better every day so check those out thank you gene so much for uh, joining the here we are podcast it was wonderful talking with you really enjoyed it thank you so much and thank you listeners for being open-minded and curious and we will talk with you next week thank you everybody for listening i hope you enjoyed it i like mixing it up once in a while on the program i thought that was a really fun interview and uh next week we're we're getting back to uh to science of course we i'm going to be talking with uh, professor of psychology and neuroscientist Daniel Levitin, who wrote the book This Is Your Brain on Music, and, uh, well, uh, many other books as well, but he also wrote a book, The World in Six Songs. We're going to be focusing on on music for this episode. It was a really fun interview, and I might have, uh, have him on again sometime to talk about all of his other work, because he doesn't just do music stuff, but I thought this would be a really fun topic for people. One of my favorite episodes of the year was with Adam Bradley, uh, I believe is the first one of 2016. We talked about hip-hop, uh, and and people really seemed to respond to it, and were really into it. So I thought this will be a fun one. So you can go out and get the book, This Is Your Brain, on music if you want to get a head start on next week's episode. Otherwise, I will talk with you next week. Thank you so much for listening and sharing with everyone you know and writing reviews and all that good stuff. And thank you for listening to the end. If you have made it this far, you're my favorite person. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. (laughs) That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself (laughs) is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, he's in a castle in Poland. (laughs) 
He's like, I mean, if yeah. you lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. He literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a, I'm a bat. bat. I'm a, I'm I'm a bat. bat that helps people. <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a I don't know what you want from me. And, uh, my, and my, my girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help she's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my. <laughs> <laughs> 